Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty, thank you very much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends Tucker Milling. Just picked up a uh, truckload of Tucker Milling feed for all of the species of livestock we have here on the homestead. And... Uh, Oh, we love that stuff, and it, and we see great results with our animals. And so next time you're at the store this spring, or maybe you're picking up these new baby chicks, uh, check in and see if your feed store has some good old Tucker Milling feed, and uh, and try it out. I'm sure you'll enjoy it like we did. Uh, we enjoyed it enough to reach out to them and say, hey, we like your stuff. We need to work together. So uh, got to love it. Here we are two years later. we got a great show lined up for you today all about coccidiosis. I've tried to get this show on for the last couple of months, and uh, we had technical difficulties one month, and uh, something happened next month where uh, it was just really, really crazy. And so I'm so glad that we're able to uh, be live today and get this show all about coccidiosis uh, out to our listeners with our good friend, poultry veterinarian, Dr. Pateski. Um, you know, we've covered uh, the show. I think this is like the 13th or 14th year we've been doing the podcast and the magazine, I think, is on its seventh or eighth year. Uh, we've toured the country doing workshops. This is uh, not even close to the first time we've covered coccidiosis, but tis the season. I just had a text literally this week from a young lady who attends our church, and it was early in the morning, and she said, hey, we've got a coccidiosis outbreak. Uh, what do I need to do? And so I texted her all this information, and uh, she was like, that's the information that I seem to find and look up. So off to the uh, feed store she went. And I haven't heard it back, um, and uh, hopefully she caught it in time and everything is good. But what I've noticed over the years, and I'm just going to go right to the commercial break and we'll bring on Dr. Pateski because I know you want to hear all about coccidiosis. But what I've noticed over the years is that those who have had and experienced a coccidiosis outbreak within their flock, especially young birds, uh, that it's they experience it and it is not pretty and they do everything they can from then on out to try to prevent this nasty disease from affecting their flock. 
Um, I've noticed also when we often talk about, you know, uh, medicated feed versus non-medicated feed, and actually poultry nutritionist Dr. Karen Gehring, uh, Dr. Karen Gehring, he did a fantastic show on this uh, a few months ago, and it's well worth your time to go listen to that to see about uh, medicated starter, which has the coccidiostat in it, uh, amprolium, uh, and um, is it good? Is it bad? Is it ugly? Uh, because it's been in this feed and we've been given so much of it as the, as the is there resistance. It was a, just a fabulous show to help you make up your mind whether you want to use the medicated starter uh, or not. Um, but those that experienced this, they seen the ugliness of this and they more times than not are using the medicated starter to try to help combat an outbreak of this including uh, husbandry practices, of course, to try to um, limit the chances of coccidiosis affecting their flock. And so I say tis the season because a lot of times this happens with the young baby chicks. You bring them home from the store. Maybe you're putting them in a brooder you've used many times before. Maybe you just try to sneak them into the coop with a broody mama. Maybe you have a new brooder outside on the ground. Maybe, you know, it, it, there's many different ways that this can be introduced to your flock. And I'm sure Dr. Potessi is gonna talk all about that. And I'm sure he'll talk about biosecurity and talk about prevention, uh, because whatever we can do to prevent this nasty from affecting our birds, that's what we really need to do. So let me get on to the commercial break uh, while the commercials are playing. And we hope you support our sponsors. You can get that pen and paper out to take a lot of notes about coccidiosis today. And uh, we hope you enjoy the show and you learn something about it and you can start helping prevent coccidiosis, whether you're a first-timer or you're an experienced keeper. Maybe you've experienced coccidiosis before uh, and you want to learn more about it and what you can do to prevent it from happening again, which I'm sure you do if you've had it before. So at a commercial break, we'll be right back after this and we'll get started. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Are you dealing with a stinky coop or brooder? Backyard chicken owners are loving Chick Fresh. Not only does it eliminate the nasty odors, but it also eliminates the dangerous and unhealthy ammonia. You can use Chick Fresh in your coop, brooder, garbage can, litter boxes, and more. Even use it in your spouse's smelly shoes. Get your bottle 15% off today by going to coopcarespecial.com. Take back control and say no to nasty odors. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. 
duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. Alrighty, thank you for uh, staying with us today. Um, I'm sure you're all aware. If not, you may have been hiding under a rock. Also about the high path avian influenza outbreak um, that's uh, currently occurring in the United States. I want to say the last thing that crossed my desk about this was I think 25 states had actually been affected. And I think USA Today, it was in one of their reports very recently, as of yesterday, said tens of thousands of birds. And I guess depending on how you look at that, that could be correct. And how many tens of thousands? I think it's probably in the millions of birds that have been uh, put down. Uh, Dr. Potesky might have a little bit more details on that and up to date. Um, but again, it kind of brings back the importance of biosecurity, especially if it's been identified in your area. Um, but let's go ahead, speaking of Dr. Podesky, let's go ahead and bring him on. We are talking about coccidiosis today, but uh, being in his position out at UC Davis, he may have some more updated information about it, which we may touch on very briefly. Uh, then we'll get right to our topic today, which I know we're all anxious to hear about, which is the coccidiosis. So um, without further ado, welcome, Maurice. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's so happy to get you back on the air after a couple of months of technical issues and other personal issues and but we're glad to have you and I think it's a great topic and it's a great time of the year have you heard anything notable I guess it's all notable it's high path avian influenza but any anything that would be notable recently that you'd like to share with our listeners regarding the current outbreak that might they might find interesting or worthwhile yeah, well, first of all, thanks again for having me, Andy. I'm glad that we're finally able to to get everything kind of worked out logistically. So um, I'm 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 I'm, uh, I'm I'm I was I was crossing my fingers that we we're going to figure out all the the technological and logistical hurdles, which it looks like we did. Fingers crossed. We did. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is so this is a pretty bad avian influenza outbreak. This is the the most significant one we've had of highly pathogenic avian influenza since uh, 2014 2015, um, and we're kind of in the middle of it. So I was, I've the last two days uh, I was talking to some very large Midwestern producers, and um, they're kind of drinking from the fire hose at this point. There's um, a lot of stress. <laughs> yeah. uh, barns are affected. Birds are affected. We're talking about you know that the, the if one bird gets test positive, um, the, the only way, well, not the only way, but the best way that we know of of controlling um, the virus is depopulating the flock. And that's a euphemism. We're euthanizing or, or killing the entire flock because viruses don't replicate in dead cells. They only replicate in live cells. So um, in the Midwest especially and in, in parts of the, the East Coast, there's such a, a high density of poultry um that um you know that's that's one of the better ways we have of controlling uh the virus and you know this kind of goes to that whole biosecurity discussion which we always talk about no matter what we're talking about we talk about biosecurity and the farms that are being affected do a good job of biosecurity uh, they're all 
professionals at what they do. They have veterinarians. They have mm-hmm. staff that focus on um, biosecurity, production, welfare, food safety. I mean, these are these are you know all professionals at what they do. Very knowledgeable, um, really passionate about what they do. So it's it's incredible that um, you know even under those circumstances uh you can have you know what we're dealing with now now that being said this is much different um at least from my perspective than 2014 2015 uh hmm. 2014 2015 we we learned a lot um, yeah we did we had a lot of logistical challenges so we couldn't depopulate the birds as quickly as we wanted to for example and then the virus mm-hmm. can kind of persist and spread um, so I think we're we're in a much better spot. The the virus, unfortunately, is 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 I think some people are afraid it's going to be endemic uh, and very similar um, to the highly pathogenic avian influenza virus that's in uh, the EU um, that affected mm-hmm. them earlier in the year genetically. And if that's the case, if we're if we're really dealing with something that's going to be endemic and and probably kind of hit us every every winter and spring um you know that that will require us to to adapt also so um you know in the commercial world they're they're we're going to have to have even more effort on biosecurity and and our lab does a lot of work for example on uh developing tools um that can give producers an understanding of, of risk with respect to proximity to waterfowl so we do a lot of satellite radar and telemetry um uh analysis of waterfowl in order to inform the commercial poultry industry on the west coast and the east coast where um where waterfowl are and we need to develop those same tools for the midwest and it takes time i was actually talking to a producer this morning and, and just bear with me for one minute and then we can start talking about coxie but i i was mentioning how i'm i live on the west coast we have earthquakes um and we now have uh very similar to what japan has built we have an earthquake early earthquake warning system that gives us you know a few seconds before an earthquake that it'll sound off alarms and things like that and give us tsunami warnings and things like that uh nasa has is developing a uh asteroid warning system so few years ahead of an asteroid, a cataclysmic asteroid hitting our planet and causing some existential issues for, for humanity. We can hopefully address that. Um, and, and, and we have the National Weather Service that gives us all kinds of insights on all the weather events that are, I know there's been some storms and tornadoes in the Midwest lately um, that, that have uh, kind of added on to uh, the drama for um, poultry producers, among others. So in, in my mind, you know, from a food security perspective, we need to adapt and, and utilize some of these, these new technologies to, to give insights to producers uh, that they previously didn't have. Um, and it takes time and, and some funds and some clever sure. uh, scientists to work on those things. But I, but I think we're moving in that direction, and I think it's really important, I think, as uh, just as a community, whether we're large commercial operations of millions of birds or a backyard of just a handful of birds that we all do our part um, because the, the, the virus will spread. And um, if we don't do our job, it, it'll it'll make things harder for everyone. I know that I want to remind everybody that uh, if you go back in the podcast archives, you'll see um, plenty, especially during that year and that, that outbreak, of all kinds of questions that people would have had. We tried to answer them all. Um, and again, I, I want to get to coccidiosis, but I will ask you this because I've even seen this posted again 
Uh, and it's okay because, you know, these are folks that have just maybe gotten chickens in the last few years. They just don't under the concept or, you know, now we've been through the pandemic and everybody through Facebook now is a epidemiologist because of what they read on Facebook. <laughs> but um, what um, the, the main question, if you can answer this, I, I know it's a loaded question, but kind of in a brief format to let us know why. Um, and then we'll get on to coccidiosis, but we, we've seen this rear ugly head again. Why don't we take the the strong will survive and then breed from that with this particular high path avian influenza uh, like maybe we do with some other things or let it run its course and then we we get that uh, resistance to it how come and, and maybe wow well, not maybe I'm sure because we all know how much money and how much research is done with chickens but um, and maybe that is being done but at this point anyway why don't we take that, we'll see which ones survive, and then use, we'll start breeding those and see if we can't get some type of resistance. Why is that not done with high-path avian influenza? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the, the waterfowl, to, to that point, um, the waterfowl that are the carriers, uh, for the most part, don't seem to be affected. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, so it is possible, right? Uh, just like, uh, you know, you and I, um, you know, we, we might but get the flu or COVID, and, and some people mm -hmm. are affected, and some people aren't. I always get afraid of the of the twenty something year old, you know, insane athlete who dies of COVID. That that's kind of an outlier, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right, but right. When you see those when you see those folks dying of flu and 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 uh, and other things, you're like, oh God, like that's terrible, right? Um, and and there's obviously some genetics involved in that, um, and and that goes up and down all the different animal species. Uh, I'd say there there definitely are researchers working on that. That that is mm -hmm. definitely a thing, um, but we're not there yet. So okay. uh, the reality okay. is that I think we sequenced the chicken genome, you know, maybe within the last decade or so. Right. Um, and, and how do we start identifying what genes in, in different um, breeds of chicken have some disease resistance? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you also have to realize this is biology. It's, it's not engineering or, or mathematics in the sense that it's not a zero or one. So mm. you don't become resistant or susceptible to to a disease. It, it's kind of a, an ordinal or a ranking scale. So uh, just like when I got COVID several months ago, uh, fully vaccinated and all those good things, but I, I definitely had some clinical signs, right? So mm -hmm. it, it, it I, but I didn't, I wasn't hospitalized, and and mm -hmm. you know anything anything worse than that. So. So it is a matter of scale, um, and, and I think what I would tell people is absolutely. Is there research going into the genetics of, 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 of identifying um, unique genetic markers and traits that confer some uh, disease resistance? 100%. Not enough money going into that area for all kinds of reasons, but um, absolutely. Are we there yet? No, because ultimately mm – -hmm. We have billions of broilers that we're providing to the planet every year and, and also billions of, of eggs that we're providing to the planet every year. Mm -hmm. um, if, if we did that experiment right now, we, we would have some ginormous yeah. food security issues to right. deal with. So it, it's, it's more of a research kind of aspect. Um, but, but humans are adaptable, and we're, we're, we, can, we can scale these technologies up once they're, mm -hmm. once they're developed. And, you know, it's pretty amazing as, as – you know, just as a, as a professor, just to go off on one little tangent for one second, but just as sure. a professor, just to kind of start appreciating how technology and academia kind of interface with each other. And, and, and some people, you know, it, it's slow, 
but but the reality is like if I if I identify a gene, I can um, after you know all kinds of research and gazillion years and collaboration and things like that, you know that 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 gene or that strain of of of, of chicken um, can eventually be licensed to a commercial company, and now that commercial company can can sell that um, you know globally around the world, and and there's there's all kinds of economic um, mechanisms that we have that that will that will that will eventually you know help facilitate the the scalability of all these amazing technologies and and I, I really think that there's there's a lot of value in that I, I understand you know we all want these things to happen yesterday but but I think I, to to that point I, I really do think um, you're on to something Andy when you when you when your people write in about that and and ask about where where are we on that. We're definitely not there yet, um, but but I think there's definitely a lot of potential, and, and we do have. And, and the last thing I'll mention before we t- start talking about coccidia is we do have things that do work now, um, and and some parts of the world are do have avian influenza vaccines. We don't use them in North America, and this gets really complicated. Right. Uh, right. For various reasons, we don't use the avian influenza vaccine because the reality is, as we all know with, with COVID, um, as everyone is becoming much more, I think, a sophisticated mm-hmm. understanding what the limitations of vaccines, um, you can be a, um, a asymptomatic carrier of disease. So same thing with avian influenza. So the, the dogma has been, and this is not, you know, this is, this is just the current kind of understanding of, 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 from the economic and food security perspective. The dogma is right now, if we vaccinate against avian influenza, sure, we're going to save birds, but in the long run, we might contribute to um, facilitating the virus becoming more endemic because now we're going to have to deal with a bunch of birds that potentially are asymptomatic and are carriers of the virus. And, and now we're dealing with a, mm-hmm. a brand new challenge that we haven't dealt with mm-hmm. before. So it's complicated. Technology does not come with uh, with its own. You know, there, there's 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 never an easy answer, as we all know. If it was easy, it would have been done already. Yeah. So so biosecurity is is is, is unfortunately, yeah. I know, kind of bringing it back to to one of my favorite topics is, is <laughs> yeah. that's where you know they, that's where we can be effective. That's where we can really make an impact. And biosecurity is not perfect. Um, but but we know it works. It's, it's very simple. The concept we we want to keep outside things out, and inside things in. And, and if we can if we can even just make incremental progress on that, that'll go a long way toward preventing the disease from from continuing. You know, the, the last outbreak in 2014 2015 went until I think the middle of May or so. So we're still a good month away from from having this thing, you know, crossing fingers, kind of wrapping up a little. And, and as we get, as the weather gets hotter, that virus gets inactivated in the environment, and, and things can return back to normal. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a definitely an interesting time. And egg prices are starting to go up again. And, and chicken, I just saw that's going to raise, I think, sixteen percent or more. They're saying as well for uh, for actually chicken. I, there was an article on that. Um, maybe that was the USA. Today article I was reading. It's funny you mentioned about COVID and how it affects different things. It's a perfect example. Um, within our church, I remember we're getting an email, you know, kind of a, a, a prayer request email, and it was like, uh, Miss Lois has been diagnosed with COVID. Who was our piano player for years? And she's like in her 90s. And you just kind of mm-hmm. think, oh, no. And, 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 and Miss Lois gets, gets over COVID fine. 
and then mm-hmm. we've got and then we've got a former marine who's in oh, very good shape who's in his probably late 30s early 40s and he just about lost his life literally the doctor stopped billing his insurance because they thought let's give them a break because he's not going to make it i mean it got all these parameters for him that he was like he's he's going to uh, die from this and but the 95 year old piano you know she she got through it fine and then here's former marine that and he uh so that example of you using the 21 year old athlete that succumbs to covid and you're like you're scratching your head and and oh no and and but yeah it's interesting so coccidiosis um one of those things uh i wish you know and probably should cover every year about this time but um, it is. It, when it rears its ugly head, boy, it, it rears its ugly head, and people panic, and they run to the store, and they're trying, asking questions, and then, and then, wow, it seems that when we ask folks or talk to folks that have experienced it, after they experience once, man, it, it changes them as, as poultry keepers, and they are doing anything they can to try to prevent this stuff. Yeah, so so kind of transitioning to that, you know, avian influenza is mm-hmm. still kind of the unicorn. You know, it kind of rarely affects you know a lot of mm-hmm. our, our a lot of our flocks, and, and coxie is is definitely the you know the hoofprints from the from the from the horse. So they always tell you in vet school, you know, when you hear hoofprints, don't think unicorns, think think horses, right? And and <laughs> as, as vet students and, and humans, we we sometimes you know are are we, we love to think that we're going to die from alien abduction or from lightning strike or you know, a shark bite or something like that. And the reality is we're, we're probably going to die of heart disease or diabetes, right? Because that's – but we don't think about that, right? We don't – we aren't scared about it in the same way. And coccidiosis is the same way, right? Merrick's – our chickens, mm-hmm. especially our backyard chickens, are going to die two things most likely um, based upon the data. Merrick's disease and coccidiosis, mm-hmm. those are the two biggies. So so okay. it's not as exciting as, as avian influenza, but, but from a practical perspective, yeah, we should be spending um, – Probably once a year, we should probably have that that discussion on coccidiosis. And you know, the reality with with coccidiosis is that it's ubiquitous. Just like Merrick's disease, just like I told you about my my virology professor that said there's two things you can never. So Merrick's disease is a herpes virus, and my virology professor in vet school always said there's two things you can never get rid of. One is herpes viruses, and the other is land in Pullman, Washington. So coccidiosis is, is very similar to that. And then he would say, I've, I've got one of those two. I won't tell you which one assuming it was obviously the, the Merrick's disease uh, or the, excuse me, the land in Pullman, Washington, as, as opposed to the, um, the herpes virus. But with, with coccidiosis, just, just in, you know, just to kind of, it, it's ubiquitous. Um, it, it, there are multiple species of coccidia, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, and, and it's really important to understand they're all a little different. Um, and then there's the, the genetics of the chicken, which is all a little different. So you, you will have clinical signs that, that range from literally nothing to literally mortality, to death. So it's just really important um, to be able to control um, coccidiosis and, and mitigate it. And, 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 the, and the reality is, is that it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere chickens are. Um, and the, it's the overgrowth of it that will cause disease for the most part. So how do we control it? How do we mitigate it? Because in, in a perfect world, from an immunological perspective, we actually want a little coxie in the environment, just enough to challenge the chicken's um, uh, immune system so it has a nice, robust immune response. Um, and it's a couple things just to point out. So we, we talked about it occurs anywhere poultry are grown, we have coccidia. It's seen primarily in young birds. So um, 
It also requires um, so so we're gonna we're, older birds will they get coxie eh, every once in a while but but not too often. Um, usually we'll see it between that three week and six week age um, span. Uh, as the joke goes, not all chickens read the book. Um, so um, sometimes you'll have younger birds, sometimes you have older birds. If you see three to six week old birds that are kind of not doing well, they're having some diarrhea, some bloody diarrhea, um, feathers are dull, kind of matted down, things like that. Um, and, and typically in that scenario, we'll think coccidia. And there's a few diseases. You know, I'm a veterinarian. Uh, we, we talk about antimicrobial resistance and all these other things uh, and, and diagnosing a disease before we treat it. Um, coccidiosis, if we have a bird that's between three and six weeks of age and it's got diarrhea, I, mm-hmm. I, in my mind, I see that as clear enough of a, of, a, of a diagnosis of coccidia. We don't need to take a fecal sample in that scenario. We don't need to submit a chicken to a diagnostic lab and have them euthanize the chicken in order to isolate, you know, high concentrations of coccidia in their gut so we know that we can treat them. That's, that's a scenario where, sure, we can do that if we want, um, but but in that rea- in that in that scenario, I am comfortable, like you know, kind of recommending coccidia stats and, and some of the other things that we'll talk about in a, in a little. So just to go over the, the biology for a couple minutes. So coccidia is a protozoal parasite. The, the genus, if, if there's some uh, biology nerds that are listening, is Imeria. And in chickens, there are actually nine different species of Imeria. Five of them. Um, I'm not going to go over all of them, but five of them are, are extremely pathogenic. So if you ever hear Imeria maxima or Imeria tenella, um, those are the ones that, that, are, that are typically very pathogenic. And it's interesting, of the nine, um, you know, those five, for example, they, they are very specific to different parts of the gut. So if you're a good poultry pathologist, and you have a three- to six-week-old bird that gets submitted to you, and you euthanize the bird, and you open up the bird, and then you, um, when you're doing this autopsy or necropsy, you open up the gut. Um, for certain um, Imeria, you'll see the pathology, the disease in a certain part of the intestine. And you'll be like, oh, okay, I don't even need to look under a microscope. I know that is Imeria maxima or Imeria aircircovina air, air or Imeria necatrix or, or brunetti, whatever it is, you'll, you'll know that. And then you can, you can use that as kind of a piece of information to understand the severity of the disease potentially. Um, because while not all of these Imeria will kill the chickens, they, they will cause them, um, and this is more from a production perspective, they'll cause them to be sick, and that will affect their productivity and their, their ability um, to gain weight, to produce eggs eventually, things like that. They just won't be as, as, as healthy. Um, those outbreaks, you know, that, as I said earlier, if you have chickens in their environment, you've got Imeria, you've got coccidia. And, and the reality is, is that how do we control the amount of coccidia that's in the environment? And one of the things, and this is why we like talking about it this time of year, um, mm-hmm. is that poor wet litter conditions will contribute to the persistence of these parasites. Now, the coccidia, I'm not going to go too much into the details of the life cycle, but if they shed, so it, it reproduces in the gut 
of the chicken. Um, so these protozoal parasites, they're, they're kind of, they're trying to get back in the gut so they can reproduce, but, and, and then they'll eventually shed the parasite in the environment. Um, and when those, um, when the parasite is shed in the environment, the eggs are actually shed in the environment. And now when another chicken consumes that egg, that one egg can literally become tens of thousands of these protozoal parasites when it gets back into the gut of the chicken. So that's why it's so important when we're thinking about when we have an outbreak that we really focus on these, these litter conditions because we want to have an environment that's not conducive to allowing the coccidia parasite to kind of persist, persist in the environment as well. Easier said than done, but the, the things that we really focus on is making sure that that litter is nice and dry, making sure especially around our waters that the waters aren't dripping or leaking or anything like that because our chickens obviously are spending lots of time around their feeders and waters, and ultimately they will... Um, um, you know, the, the likelihood of them ingesting an, an egg in an environment that's moist and things like that is, is much riskier um, if we have an environment that has a lot of moisture. So I would recommend a couple things, just making sure, especially this time of year, that our litter is dry. Um, we don't want it to be too wet because that allows those eggs to kind of persist. Um, a couple other things is to make sure that our um, birds aren't pooping in our waters and feeders. Um, you know, sounds pretty obvious. That the reality is that's easier said than done. Um, and then when you do have a sick bird, um, you know, for coccidia, um, considering uh, taking your chickens or chatting with your veterinarian um, about what you can do. Now, coccidia, there's actually a lot of options that you can do that, that are over-the-counter. So if you have a bird that's between three, three and six weeks of age that has coccidia, first of all, um, when we think about prevention, we want to think about keeping that environment nice and dry. The second thing we want to consider is the use of a um, coccidia stat, um, and there's two ways to utilize that. The first way is in our um, medicated feed. So there are two types of chick feed. There is medicated feed and organic feed. And the medicated feed um, is, um, has a coccidia stat in it. And I just want to be clear here, that mm -hmm. is not considered an antibiotic. And it's not mm -hmm. an antibiotic because protozoa are, 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 are um, eukaryotic cells without going into all the details. They're not bacteria. So I am very cautious um, about using uh, um, antibiotics in, in, in poultry and other foods for all kinds of reasons that we've talked about previously and, and I'm sure we'll talk about again at some point. Primarily the concept of antibi antimicrobial resistance. We don't want to give antibiotics to chickens and select for bacteria um, that are um, that have antimicrobial resistance uh, for our own health reasons, let alone our poultry's health reasons. Now, protozoal parasites are not a human disease issue. So when I give a coccidia stat to a chicken, there is no human health consideration in that scenario. And because the coccidia are so ubiquitous and so prevalent, um, using a coccidia stat in their feed makes, to me and to most, I think, public health um, um, folks and veterinarians that focus on poultry makes 100% sense. Now, I get that there's people that want um, organic and they want to raise their chickens organic and, and certainly appreciate that um, perspective. 
in that scenario, what I would say is it's really important to then focus just on husbandry because if I have an organic flock and I have a coccidia outbreak, I can't give a coccidia stat, right? That would be illegal. Um, so if you are one of these folks that's like, you know what, 100% organic, this is the way it needs to get done, that's fine. And you can actually be very successful in that scenario. You will get protozoa like, like Imeria, and every once in a while it will be a bad one. Um, and, and all you can do in that scenario is just focus 100% on husbandry versus focusing – you know, 50% on husbandry and 50% on, on, on including a medicated feed. Now, if you have a medicated feed and you have coccidia, um, you can go to a feed store and add on an additional coccidia stat um, at a slightly higher concentration to help control that outbreak. And, and that, that's a certainly appropriate, reasonable kind of thing. And there's the, the main coccidia stat that you'll see at most feed stores is um, – um, is is um, amprolium, and uh, the directions are on there about mm-hmm. how to add the amprolium to water and things like that. Very easy to do, actually. So um, it's something just to consider um, um, to use. Now, in the poultry industry, just as a side note for folks, um, in the poultry industry, um, in the commercial poultry industry, they do have a coxivac, which um, typically gets used in broilers, um, and is a vaccine against coccidia. And and what really gets kind of interesting and complicated is, you know, when you give a vaccine, you are driving the evolution of the coccidia. Um, so you're you're kind of creating a niche, a new environmental niche for other coccidia to, to kind of persist. So it, it's an interesting, when you talk to the vets for these large commercial operations, they'll go on these what they call shuttle programs where they'll rotate between the uh, coxivac, the vaccine, and the coccidia stat, um, the amprolium, for example, and they'll, they'll kind of come up with systems that allow, from a production perspective and a health perspective, allow the birds to kind of be productive and healthy and all those types mm-hmm. of things. And it gets kind of interesting. Like there's, there's, this is kind of where you get into this whole area of, of um, there's an evolutionary kind of, you know, arms race going on here between humans and the protozoa and, and almost like a little, it's like a chess match between the two, which is, um, you know, kind of just interesting from a, from a practical perspective. Um, hey, um, I've, um, yeah. I got a question for you and pardon me if you had already answered it because I was getting ready to go to commercial break and was getting that lined up. Um, cause you had talked about, yeah, if you're already on the medicated starter, you can go and you, and you have this issue, you can go and, and, and get the amprolium and the drugs to, to fix it and add to that. But we often see in some of these forums where someone will comment, they think their flock has this, or, you know, I'm pretty darn sure my flock has this and people will then recommend, well, you need to go get them on medicated starter. But my understanding is that if they um, fear that they their flock has this, that at that point, the medicated starter is not going to be at a high enough con- concentration to treat. And I'll use that word treat this, or maybe even help this, but I'll use the word treat this, that they will need to get the uh, the medication to add to the water. Is that a safe assumption? Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. when you say the term "stat," you're 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 basically not um, you're, you're you're keeping the coxie at whatever level they are, 
Um, so in general, we're we're not eliminating all the coxie. We're basically trying to kind of check its 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 further mm-hmm. kind of persistence and things like that. So the, the nice part about when you add an amprolium, for example, and some of the other coccidia stats. Um, is that now you can have you can dial in a little more on controlling the actual infection. So if there is an outbreak, for example, and we're showing clinical signs, then you're 100% right. The 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 coccidia, the medicated feed is not does not have the the, mm. the correct dosage of the coccidia stat to actually make right, the disease in that scenario. Now, what you just described kind of sounds what I've heard for so many years from from so many poultry professionals like yourself that you know. When when you're giving that, you're trying to and I didn't use your words, but curtail this. You're trying to keep it at a minimum, almost where again, this is where I hear so much over the years is that, you know, you, they may have this protozoa in their gut, but their gut's kind of like, you know, I'll let you hang out here and and, and do what you want to do as long as you don't cause me any problems. And they get this kind of the relationship together, and it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't cause the bigger issue. They, even though they truly may have coccidiosis, maybe, or it's, at least it's in the gut. The protozoa is in the gut, but you will never see symptoms. It's there, but the gut and the protozoa have this relationship. Um, now, let me ask you this: in coccidiosis, because I know this translates over to many other poultry diseases, um, where they have this, or if it's in the gut, and they have this relationship going, and it hasn't presented itself something that creates stress within the flock um, then can make this present itself. Because I know other, and and coccidiosis may be exempt from that, but I know uh, uh, that I hear that a lot, that this may be underlying, and then something triggers it, a stress, a predator attack, uh, something happens, moving a flock from you, selling it, going somewhere else, that that stress can present, and that's why I say, you you, you know, when you someone goes out and buys new chickens, we say quarantine, da 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 da. And then you know when you enter these new chickens and it, with your current flock, even though you think, oh my flock's so healthy, the stress of that could present an underlying issue. So so going back with the coccidiosis, they they have the protozoa in their gut. They they're on the coccidiostat, the, the medicated starter. They may have this in their gut, the protozoa. They have that relationship going. Could a stressful event with this disease? cause this to present itself like some of the others or is this a little bit different uh animal if you will with with this it's just it'll present based on the amount of protozoa that gets in there regardless if it's stress or not you see can it kind of do I explain that kind of okay <laughs> yeah no you're you're i you're 100 percent right um so for example at uc davis and, and i'm sure most of your listeners are, are have gone through some version of this like whenever we get near finals time and exam time midterms and stuff like that that's when everyone starts getting sick I, I i joke with people that you know some some of it's made up because because people aren't prepared but but a lot of it there's a lot of you know when when you're stressed you're immunocompromised and and then you become more susceptible to to infection or um if you've got something floating around in you um now you've you've uh you know compromised your immune system just enough to to allow some clinical signs to start showing up so you're hundred percent right um we know that that you know it's interesting the, the the more we learn about welfare and behavior um the more we realize that that welfare you want to obviously treat animals with with respect and 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 not do anything that would harm them um as as far as their 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 environment. 
um, and, and how they, they interact with their environment, you, you wouldn't want to do anything for two reasons. One, because we don't, we don't want to do that to our animals. And for number two, that would actually affect their, their, their ability to stay healthy, um, their productivity, all those type of things. So ultimately, if you want eggs and you want meat, you want to treat your animals well. And if you stress them out with wildlife, you know, if you have a dog or, or whatever it be, or, or by poor management, you will make them more susceptible to disease. I mean, that, that is 100% true. And, and the reality is there's a lot of stuff floating around in them already, and you're 100% right. If you, um, you know, kind of stress them out enough, then, then you will definitely compromise their immune system. And then all these other things, E. coli and coccidias and things like that, that are probably already in there will become a little worse. So there definitely is some, some research on that, um, and, and, and that, that's a 100% accurate statement. Okay, excellent. I was just curious. Hey, let me go to commercial break and get these other three uh, or four uh, commercials done for our sponsors, and then we come back and we will continue uh, with coccidiosis. But that that entered my mind well, and sometimes I'm like, all this information for for 12 years of doing the show (laughs) gets in my brain, and I always to come out. I'm like, let me kind of explain this, and then I kind of ramble. So thanks for uh, sharing that. So we're going to go to another quick commercial break, folks, and uh, we'll continue right after this with more all about coccidiosis with our good friend, poultry veterinarian, uh, Dr. Pateski. Stay with us. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Strong Animals uses plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Our daily snacks, water additives, and coop refresher products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to promote digestive health and immunity. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals products. Available at local farm stores across the country and Amazon. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today to learn more. The Yardbird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in just 15 seconds. Powered by a 1.5 horsepower electric motor, the Yardbird Chicken Plucker can handle two 8-pound birds at one time, while the built-in irrigation ring keeps your hands free for other butchering tasks. The 20-inch stainless steel drum features 110 rubber plucking fingers that gently remove feathers and dirt without tearing the skin. When butchering is complete, the plucker rinses clean with just soap and water. To learn more or purchase your plucker, visit YardbirdPluckers.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. 
And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All righty, folks, thank you very much for staying with us today. Uh, if you tuned in late and you're like, oh, what did I miss? Don't worry. Uh, probably about 10 to 15 minutes after the show, the live show finishes, uh, you will see it pop up on the or the same link that you're listening to now. Uh, you'll be able to 10 minutes after the live show ends, and it'll be uh, instantly formed into a podcast. You can go back and listen to this entire show in its entirety, and you can take the link and share it in some of your forums that you sh- that you uh, belong to and you're members of, and so other people can also get. Um, uh, more familiar with coccidiosis and what to do if they happen to see this or it gets presented to them with their flock uh, this spring as everybody's getting their uh, new baby their new baby chick. So uh, back to it. I'll turn it back over to you, Maurice. Okay, great. Um, so a couple things I just wanted to point out. Um, so I did say earlier, and I want to just kind of uh, clarify just a little. I talked about amprolium as a coccidiostat, and if you're mm-hmm. 100% organic flock, then you just have to focus on management. But one thing I, I did want to point out that I forgot to mention is uh, there is, um, for organic flocks or for non-organic flocks, oregano oil. Um, there is some research, and I, I know a, uh, a couple of curmudgeon commercial poultry vets that always kind of poo some of these kind of organic treatments. And, and there's actually, even they acknowledge the efficacy of oregano oil. Um, so I have not used it in, in flocks, um, but there are products um, that, you can, um, that you can find online um, that get added to water, you know, whatever dosage they're recommending. And, and that can be, um, from my understanding, used um, during an outbreak or as a prevention, almost like a coccidiostat. Um, so, uh, something definitely to look into. And, and like I said, that gets used, um, I'm, I'm, uh, well aware of a, of a couple organic farms that, that use oregano oil, um, as, as a, as a preventative and as a treatment during, um, an outbreak. So just something to be aware of that there are some options out there. And, um, I think in your, in your book, actually, we did a little, um, um, kind of one or two pager on, on oregano oil mm-hmm. and, and, and that mm-hmm. that was, Chicken fact, not not chicken poop. Um, mm-hmm. Using mm-hmm. your 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 book's kind of lexicon there. Um, <laughs> right. So just wanted to just wanted to point that out because I think that's an important thing to to consider. And it's interesting how everyone kind of uh, you know gets on this bandwagon of apple cider vinegar, which in poultry unfortunately just doesn't really do anything as far as we know scientifically. But oregano oil, which doesn't get as much attention, does does have some efficacy. And I think there um, are people that are working on you know where else does oregano oil have some um, potential um, efficacy. The other thing I wanted to point out is when we talk about, about treatment, so, you know, if you've got three or four million chickens, um, <laughs> it makes all the sense in the world to, 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 to take a chicken or two and submit them to a diagnostic lab and, and have them see what they see. If you've got three or four chickens, though, it, it doesn't make sense, right? Because now you just cut your population in half and, and, and these these are usually pets at that point. So in, in that scenario, if you do see those clinical signs, it, it makes 100% sense to, to, to not, you know, submit a bird uh, for, for necropsy. And, and even if you go to your veterinarian and you say, look, my, my chicken's not doing well, three to six weeks of age, I think it's coccidia. So your veterinarian, veterinarian might get a sample, a fecal sample, um, and, and it actually you, you can run into scenarios where you get uh, false negatives because the coccidia gets intermittently shed in the feces. 
So if you didn't see anything, and I was the vet, and it was three to six weeks of age, and it showed all the clinical signs that we talked about, let's say, you know, failure to thrive and diarrhea and uh, anemia um, or suboptimal growth or mortality, whatever it is, um, if I didn't, if my my test came back negative, you know, this is this is when I talk to like epidemiology students and veterinary students. It's like I, I'm not going to believe the test 100% of the time, right? Tests, no test is perfect for all kinds of reasons. So in that scenario, I need to to kind of be thoughtful and look at the clinical signs, uh, look at the history, look at the age, um, all those type of things. And in that scenario, I would still treat for for coccidia. So. I think it's just important for people to realize, like, you know, if, if we have a bird in that kind of sweet spot of three to six weeks of age and we have some of these clinical signs that we talked about, um, in that scenario, it's really important to treat. And I, and I do want to make the point that when we treat, we treat the entire flock. We don't just treat the one or two birds um, that might show clinical signs because the, the dogma is, is that if all those birds, you know, if you have 10 birds and two birds are showing clinical signs, I'd be willing to bet that the other the other eight birds are also infected, um, mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of reasons I want to treat those eight birds um, because I want to keep the loads of that of that uh, disease causing agent in this in this scenario coccidia down. Um, I also want to treat before they get sick because I have very good strong data that suggests that 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 um, uh, imeria is present in the entire flock. So it's just really important to to think, and I, I think sometimes. Veterinarians, especially small animal veterinarians, don't don't always, you know, they want to treat individual animals because that's the way they're trained, and they want to diagnose disease in individual animals because that's the way they're trained also, and that makes 100% of the, 100% sense, um, except when we're dealing with kind of a flock. Um, so for economic reasons, for for disease, um, kind of epidemiological reasons, we're, we're if we find disease in one bird. In our flock, we're we're going to treat the entire flock. I think that's just a really important mm-hmm. uh, kind of nuance to make sure we're on the same page with. I also wanted to point out, you know, when you do have gut issues, um, you can't. There's other things to think about. So um, other diseases which you want to kind of think about. Um, you want to think a little about roundworms. Um, or ascarids. So they're very common. They can be found in chickens. Um, they're these kind of long yellow white worms that, that, that live uh, in the gut and, and they can also cause, you know, weight loss, droopiness, mm-hmm. diarrhea in, in a really parasitized bird. Um, so very rare that it'll cause death. Um, but, but don't just think, you know, for example, when, when you see the, the clinical signs that we talked about, um, don't always just assume um, that that it's coccidia. You, they could have a roundworm infection. Skin, probably in a little older bird, um, and they don't. Roundworms don't cause as much mortality unless we have a really heavily parasitized bird. Um, but they can get it, and they can get it from the feces of other birds, including wild birds or insects. So this is again where we want to focus on you know, about good biosecurity. And when we talk about good biosecurity, you know, big picture, we're trying to keep outside stuff out and inside stuff in. And one of the things on the outside of the coop that we just need to think about a little is how do we reduce the potential for habitat for wildlife on the outside of the coop? Um, Because sometimes the inside of the coop is immaculate and perfect and all those good things. And then right outside there, you've got, you know, all kinds of garbage or all kinds of arborage that's allowing um, all kinds of wildlife to have, you know, some potential habitat there. 
Um, so you want to remove as much as that as possible. Like if you have a lawn, just make sure the lawn's cut nice and 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 and, and short. Um, if you have you know any kind of lumber or other types of you know gardening equipment, you know those are especially if that stuff just piles up over months and months and months. It becomes great habitat for nesting and things like that for rodents and and birds and and and, and things like that. Um, so you know one thing with just with quickly with the with the roundworms, um, people have asked in the past should they just deworm their birds prophylactically and and the recommendation um, that I have is no. Uh, first of all, roundworms don't really cause a huge problem unless we have a really parasitized bird, and in that scenario, you're actually going to see those long yellow white worms um, in in their dropping in their dropping. So um, if you don't see worms, I, I don't see the value in 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 medicating the birds. There there's some good medications for that, piperazine for example. Um, some people have suggested online, oh, should we just give you know a, a yearly dose of piperazine? And, and now you're running into some resistance issues in that scenario. Mm. So I'm not a big fan of that. You you can run into resistance issues, obviously, with coccidia stats. But coccidia stats, first of all, cause more mortality. Um, so they're the second leading cause of mortality in backyard chickens in California, and I would imagine beyond beyond. It's, California is no different than any other state when it comes to, you know, kind of what are the common kind of signs of mortality. So in general, if I don't see a problem, um, I, my my recommendation is not to treat it. Aside from the the two biggies that kill backyard chickens the most, Merrick's disease, where I can't mm-hmm. think of a reason not to vaccinate, and uh, coccidia, where, um, again, I can't think of a reason not to do a medicated feed, uh, not to have medicated feed because it's just so ubiquitous. That being said, I understand people, you know, have different levels of comfort with, with different medicines, and, and if you're not um, keen to, to add um, a coccidia stat or use a medicated feed, then, then focus 100% on, on, on the, on the management issues and then, and then also focus on, you know, the oregano oil option too. Um, because as I, as I've mentioned before, that, that has seen to be, uh, very efficacious. I just want to make the point that when you do have a sick bird, it can be more than just, um, um, it can be more than just the, the, um, potential for, um, the coccidia stat. Uh, excuse me, the potential for, for coccidia itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, just when it, when it comes to the mm-hmm. life cycle, um, those oocysts, that egg that gets into the environment, um, it can survive in the environment for over 18 months at a time. So it, it's a very, you know, it, it's, it's a challenging thing to, to work with. And, and, and those, those oocysts or those eggs, they can, that can result in, in, in over 100,000 offspring. Um, so, uh, outbreaks will happen. You'll get these kind of rolling outbreaks that occur. Um, and one of the best ways to kind of control if you, if you have, if you're having a coccidia issue, and this is hard for backyard producers is one of the ways to control it is to, is to, is once you're done with your flock is not to immediately have new birds in that, in that environment. And, and that can be a little hard. And in the commercial poultry world, let's say we have a broiler flock and they went to the processing facility, we'll, they'll engineer into the cleaning and disinfection of that, of that barn, they'll, they'll, they'll engineer, you know, one, two, even three weeks of downtime 
where they won't have, where they'll clean everything and they won't have any poultry there. And that has a way of kind of breaking the disease cycle. So that's really, really hard to do in backyard birds. And, and depending on your backyard setup, you, you're going to have to try to figure out a way to engineer that in there. Um, because if you keep on having birds there, eventually you're going to have various diseases, including coccidia, kind of build up in the environment. And, and now you're going to get, you know, that, that kind of outbreak. So if you can break that cycle uh, once a year or if you can move your coop into a new environment uh, once a year in the spring or, or whatever it be, you got to figure something out. I know there's probably a couple people that are listening that are saying, we've never had a problem, blah, 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 and I get it. If you've never had a problem, I, I get, you know, don't, don't, don't break it, um, if it if it's fixed. But sometimes you also want to stay ahead of the curve. So, you know, I could, I could see a scenario where, because I get these phone calls all the time, we've never had problems, and then all of a sudden, you know, they've got a coxie problem or they've got, you know, whatever disease we're dealing with. And, and maybe what happened, it's kind of hard to measure you know, what we call a counterfactual in epidemiology. So you just don't know unless you have a time machine to know what was the right thing to do. But we know how diseases work, and they can build up in the environment, and eventually they can cause clinical signs from infection. So it's just important to think about. I know we all want to stick to our routines. I get it. But I also know that we want to be adaptable. We want to take the information that we have. We know how coccidia can persist in the environment for 18 months at a time. So if we can break that cycle, if we can get rid of all that litter at the end of a, of a flock or we move to a new location in our yard, um, we can have a really – we have a, a chance of kind of staying ahead of the disease as best as possible. Yeah, absolutely. It all goes back to that – Prevention and biosecurity, a lot of it, just about everything we talk about. Yep, yep, absolutely. On here. Well, that that's fantastic. I, I kind of answered all my questions throughout the uh, entire show, so um, I don't have any. I didn't see any in the chat or over on Facebook. So if you have any after the fact, uh, you can send them to me, and if I can't answer them, I will definitely forward them on to Dr. Poteski, and he can reply to your questions if we somehow miss something about today's topic. Uh, or you have a creative question, like the, the couple that I had about, you know, this, will this rear its ugly head if stress is there, even though their gut and the protozoa kind of worked out a little friendship there. So um, any creative questions like that are great because then it helps us think outside the box and helps me kind of know what questions to ask next time. So, Doc, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to get back on the air with you after a couple of months, and we look forward to uh, your May show, which you come on the second Thursday of every month, and we always look forward to that and probably look forward to some emails regarding the summer issue of Chicken Whisper probably by the end of this month. We'll get ready and get started on the summer issue and be kind of brainstorming uh, maybe a current topic that you're working on with your students or in the class or on the farm out there at UC Davis that you've got going on or uh, that would be a, a great uh, asset to the magazine for summer issue. And you'll see that email come across your desk probably in the next couple of weeks. So, but thank you for today. We appreciate it. And we will see you next month. Great. Well, thank you very much. It's good to be, I love being on their show. So um, uh, it's always good to chat with you guys. You too. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next month. So, folks, that's going to wrap it up. I will say, as always, a reminder that if you have not um, subscribed, totally free, digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine, uh, you can do that. 
The digital edition is free. You'll get emailed uh, the entire magazine. Nothing's missing. Uh, four times a year, winter, spring, summer, and fall. And um, you can flip through the pages right there on your phone or your tablet or your desktop or your laptop and read all this great information from poultry scientists, poultry veterinarians, poultry nutritionists about topics that can help you keep a healthy flock in your backyard, whether you want more eggs, you want healthier eggs, or you know, you want to, you know, treating disease or preventing this or preventing that. After seven, eight years, it's going to be in Chicken Whisper magazine. And every issue we've ever done from the first one back in I don't know, 2000, wow, when was it, 15? Um, it's all available to you right now, chickenwhisperermagazine.com. And while you're there, you can hit subscribe to the digital edition. It's always free. It's not a bait and switch. Uh, when we first started this in 2015, people thought, oh, you're going to come and make me subscribe to the print edition. You're going to tease me. Nope. So here it is seven, eight years later, still free. Uh, but if you do want and you enjoy a physical, beautiful, glossy color magazine all about chickens, uh, then you can subscribe for just nine ninety five a year. Some of these chicken magazines in the store nine ninety five just for that one issue. This is nine ninety five for the entire year, all four issues. You can't beat that whatsoever. And sometimes we even offer a buy a uh, subscription and you get a free subscription to a friend that you can give as a gift. Haven't done that in a while, but maybe we'll look at revisiting that in 2022. So nonetheless, I want to say thank you both much for tuning in. We'll see you next week right here on Blog Talk Radio. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter, at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram, at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening.